So, uh, so hey, in just a second, uh, we are going to dive into just a little bit of scripture this morning. We are in a series entitled uh, Christmas at the Movies, where we're diving in and kind of looking at little Christmas clips and then uh, deriving some spiritual value out of it. And so uh, we just have a really short video clip, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, turn our attention to Mark chapter 6 today. guys remember that the story of Scrooge how he was haunted by not Bob Marley but Jacob Marley right a a little joke from our Christmas party the other night Uh, but um, if you have your Bibles open them to Mark chapter 6 I just want to talk a little bit Uh, the Christmas Carol it's a famous story written by Charles Dickens, uh, maybe one of the most traveled Christmas stories outside of biblical text, but Ebenezer Scrooge was one of those characters that hated everything that was really Christmas or good, um, so much the fact that he just kind of despised uh, compassion, he despised charity, uh, anything that was sympathetic or empathetic he just steered clear of until uh, that night before Christmas when he is haunted by three ghosts and these three ghosts force him to kind of look back on his life and uh, see things from different perspectives and uh, and so in this this uh, fictional story here this meeting between Jacob Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge there it's fictional Um, however it does relate to us a haunting truth that sometimes a confrontation with the past can be quite scary And so that's what I want to talk to you just real quickly today about, uh, you know, um, I I guess I titled my sermon, Haunted by the Past. Haunted by the Past. See, sometimes there are things in our past that, well, we would just like to leave them there. Amen? There are things that are in our history that we would just like to see them buried. Uh, However, you and I probably... Will uh, will testify to the fact that Satan likes to bring some things up from our past into our present, and some of us sometimes we just get haunted by our past, and if we have issues in our past that are undealt with, they eventually resurface in our present, and they will suffocate our future. Okay, that's true. You could write that down. So I just want to pick up a story in Mark chapter 6. This is really uh, has ties and implications to the Christmas story. But this is um, uh, an event in the life of Jesus when Jesus has to come uh, uh, full circle. He comes in contact with his past. And I want to pick up this story in Mark chapter 6. 
And I want to start reading at verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. All right, now everyone say he went to his hometown. All right, thank you. You guys are with me today. That's awesome. So now, for those of us that are paying attention, his hometown was Nazareth. So Jesus' hometown was Nazareth. And in Mark 6, he is coming back to his hometown. Now, when he left his hometown, he left as a carpenter, but he was quickly establishing and revealing himself as the Son of God. And so just prior to this, you see Jesus in full bloom of his ministry. Uh, Jesus had just uh, encountered a demon-possessed man and had uh, encountered a demon by the name of Legion, and he delivered this man. And some of you will know the story. He, he sent the demons out away, and that man was healed. And because of that, Jesus' fame just went wild and began to spread. And so he was traveling uh, from there, and a man by the name of Jairus came to Jesus, and Jairus had a sick child at home. And so he was coming to Jesus to ask Jesus to come to his house for healing and Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house when he's interrupted by a woman who had um, an issue within her own body and she didn't want to bug Jesus she didn't want a whole bunch of attention but she fought her way through the crowd and just if you remember she reached out and touched the hem of his garment and just reaching out in faith instantly healed this woman and Jesus turned around and acknowledged her and acknowledged that that her healing was secure and so she was there but in the meantime uh, Jairus got word that his daughter his sick daughter at home had passed away and so that was uh, that was like a good moment and a bad moment all wrapped up in one and so Jairus is sad but Jesus reassured Jairus and Jesus says, you know, don't worry because I don't accept death as a solution for your heartache. And Jesus went to Jairus' house and he raised the little girl from the dead. And so when we pick Jesus up in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is coming off a hot streak. I mean, he's hot right now. And his ministry is just exploding. And everything is, is going um, just like crazy wild. Thousands of people are following him. And he comes back to his hometown. And I'm going to guess, probably for a little bit R&R. Isn't that why we come back to our hometowns? Isn't that why we come back? Hey, we get to visit family, and, and everything surrounding is really good, you know. Um, this is the, uh, a good time to be at the Savacco house. We have all three kids under our roof for the first time in, in years. And so it's just a blessing to have people back and, and family back. And, and when you come back to your hometown, you know, everything just, all your memories start flooding back about, Oh, over here we did this, and over there, and I remember this, and look at how it's all changed and all of that. Um, so Jesus is coming back to his hometown, um, except for this time he is coming back uh, with an entourage. He's coming back with his disciples, and he's bringing his whole ministry team with him, and he's coming back um, kind of as that, that son that, that went out and was successful. And so he's coming back, and he continues to do Jesus-like things in verse 2. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in a synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They were amazed. 
And I want to pause here just to, just to think about that. Uh, the people that heard Jesus were amazed at him because they were experiencing Jesus for the very first time. They had not known this Jesus. The Jesus that they had known left as a carpenter, but now they come back and he's teaching with such wisdom and he's healing people and, uh, of their sicknesses. Um, and it's really cool. There must have been a moment of pride amongst some of the Nazarenes that day. You know, like when uh, a small town kid hits it big and then they come back to visit, it's a big deal. You know, Jane and I, we, for a time in our lives, lived in this little itty-bitty kind of farm town in, in southern Illinois, Newton. And Newton was not unlike Rogers. It was just kind of rural, kind of small, built around kind of agricultural and all of that stuff. And Newton was, had, had really no claim to fame. Not, you, no one went to Newton. You were either going from point A to point B and just happened to be passing through. But no one ever goes to Newton. Except for the one claim to fame is, is that uh, country singer uh, Burl Ives was born in Newton, Illinois. Now, some of you will remember Burl Ives uh, from his music. He, he wrote numerous songs. In fact, he's most famous for playing and narrating Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He was Sam the Snowman. Uh, he sings uh, and wrote Holly Jolly Christmas, which still gets plenty of airtime this time of year, and so just really famous, but after he had passed away, they had a funeral for him there in his hometown of Newton, Illinois, and, uh, and it was just a big spectacle there. Uh, country music, you know, famous people converged on this little town. Uh, Roy Clark was there. Mel Tillis uh, sang at his eulogy um, a couple of songs. Um, it was just a really big deal. All the major news outlets were there. And so there was a buzz in that little town because of this famous person that had come back to the area. And I imagine that this is kind of the same scenario that was happening in Nazareth when Jesus came back. Here is this famous prophet of God, someone that was just, you know, uh, drove out demons, which they had never seen before in their entire lives. Someone has just brought, they just healed a dead girl and brought a dead girl back to life. Never seen that before in our lives. And now he's here in our own backyard. I mean, I imagine the buzz that was going on and it says many of them were amazed at Jesus. And I think that this is the same idea that you and I have to feel about Jesus you know, not just at Christmas time, but all the time. You know, are we still amazed at Jesus? Are we amazed at the incarnation that God is with us? The people were amazed in verse 2. And they exclaimed, they said, where did the man get these things? What wisdom um, is it that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? And so they are amazed and they are astonished. However, if you notice in verse 2, it says many were amazed. And it doesn't say all. Which implies that not everybody was amazed. Not everybody was astonished at Jesus. In fact, some people were just flat out ticked off. Right? Have you guys ever been ticked off? Right? Like when that team up north... Did I say that right? When that team up north beat some team in central Ohio, 
at the shoe this year, right? And we're just flat out ticked off, right? So I, I know I can see all the Michigan fans in here because you're gloating right now, right? They were offended at this. And, uh, and in verse 3, we see the flip side of the coin. We see the other side, the people that are not amazed. And they said, isn't this the carpenter? Referring to Jesus' earthly profession. Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And so some of the Nazarenes, they're not even neutral in their opinion of Jesus. They're just flat out offended at Jesus. Remember the last time like you were really offended? Maybe someone called you fat or stupid or ugly or they overlooked you when they should have been looking. Or maybe they just flat out disregarded you as a person and just treated you bad. Remember how you felt? Light with, like, with a righteous indignation. Did any of, your, uh, any of your blood go up about 10 degrees? Just begin to boil a little bit? And we feel all of those things. Those are the emotions that accompany us being offended. And Scripture tells us that some of the Nazarenes took offense at Jesus. So now, why would they take offense at a hometown kid coming back, teaching and preaching and doing miraculous things, you know, healing the sick. Well, Jesus puts his finger right on it, as Jesus always does. And in verse 4, he tells us why. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And so they were offended because of their lack of faith within themselves. And on top of that, their lack of faith tied the hands of God. Their lack of faith prohibited Jesus from doing any major miracles. Now, I know you don't hear that in church a whole lot. You don't probably hear that period anywhere. Because we always think that our God is a God who can do all things. Right? Our God is a God um, who is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Who spoke the universe into existence. He still speaks the storms, and he says to the nature, he says, peace be still. They have to obey. Jesus says um, to look at the mountains and tell the mountains to move, and they'll move. There is nothing that our God cannot do. And we hear that, and we teach that. However, in verse 5, because of their lack of faith, it says he could not do any miracles. Not would not. It says he could not do those things. And so as I was studying this, my mind begins to wonder, what depravity of faith would it take to tie the hands of God? What, 
what level do we have to sink to to where God cannot work in that midst and God cannot do something? And this is where, my friends, I think I found the culprit to their lack of faith. You know, what would drive someone to such a lack of faith? And, and I believe in verse 3 gives us a clue, but I think they're haunted by their past. They're haunted by their past. In verse 3 it gives us a clue and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this, the, isn't this the guy that made my rocking chair? Isn't this the guy that, that fixed our dining room table, you know, when it broke? Isn't this the guy that helped us build our house? Isn't this the carpenter? See, and they remember, and they're allowing their past view of God to cloud their present view of him. And they say, isn't this Mary's son and brother of James? Oh, I remember James. James did some wild things in high school. Right? He was a crazy kid. Isn't this the brother of James? See, they, they knew him in a personal, they knew his family. And as you're reading verse 3, and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Jesus and Simon? And aren't his sisters here? I can't help but notice... There's an omission. They left somebody out of Jesus' family. They don't mention Joseph. Now, some might say that Joseph had prematurely died and wasn't there, but I think that maybe there's a more sinister plot involved because I think you would still include the father figure in a lineage. But they purposely omit Joseph from the story. And so what they're saying is they're like, we knew Jesus in the past. And if my memory serves me right, I think how he came into the world was kind of through, you know, some questionable circumstances. And I know what Mary said. Mary said that this child that's within me was given by God and she was still a virgin. And she believed that, of course, because she was visited by an angel. And Joseph himself believed that because Joseph was visited by an angel. But the Nazarenes weren't visited by angels. They didn't have anyone telling them that. And I think they said, well, Mary said that this pregnancy is given to her by the Holy Spirit, but I ain't never heard of that. And they're allowing their past um, misperceptions shape their current perspectives. They're haunted by their past. Beyond that, their town, Nazareth, had a reputation. Nazareth was not necessarily the holy city of, uh, you know, Jerusalem. Nazareth had the opposite reputation. Nazareth was a poor town. Poverty. 
and in all poor towns, in the ghetto, in the slums, crime is higher. And you find kind of the scourge of the earth in those poor, high-crime areas. And it's stereotyped. Nazareth had a reputation so much that in John chapter 1, verse 46, Philip and Nathaniel are having a conversation. And Nathaniel says to uh, Philip, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I think that this is the question that haunts the Nazarenes in Mark 6. Because they're having difficulty believing that anything good could come out of them. Make no mistake, Jesus was Nazarene. And they allowed their past to shape their current perspective. Haunted by their past. And this Christmas, I want to just be real for a moment because we aren't too unlike the Nazarenes. Sometimes you and I allow our past to shape our present and suffocate our future. And the things that our dad did to us when we were nine years old still haunt us to this day, 25 and 30 years later. And we allow it to shape who we are today. And, and we get our, sometimes our own perspectives in life, our own self-image based off of a teacher's critique in second grade when they told us we should be in remedial English. And maybe we think we're not smart enough because of what some teacher wrote on a report card 30 years ago. Or maybe we feel like we don't have self-worth based on what an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend thinks of us. And we say, well, they threw me away and they discarded me and so I feel like I'm invaluable. Maybe we read too much or took too much stock in some job interview and they said we weren't good enough. And now we think that we're, we're never going to be good enough or that we're, we can't ever attain our dream job. See, sometimes we just allow our past to haunt us in the present and it shapes our present and it forms us and we can't get past reputations and stereotypes that we draw up in our own mind. And this is where the Nazarenes are at. The Nazarenes, it's a funny thing that ghosts from the past just keep haunting. And the Nazarenes are like, I just don't think anything good can come of us. I don't think anything good can come from Nazareth. And they can't get past that. See, Jesus grew up in the ghetto just like they did. He grew up poor just like they did. He grew up in high crime rates just like they did. And they couldn't get past the stereotypes that God could send someone like Jesus out of them. That something good could come out of that situation. The ghosts of their past were suffocating their future. My friends, this is when we reach the intersection in life where past and present collide. And we wrestle with our stereotypes. 
and we wrestle with our history. And we wrestle with all the things that have been done to us and all the mistakes that we've made. We wonder, can anything good come out of it? Can anything good come out of my failures? Can anything good come out of those things done to me? It's in those times that we have to maybe take a page out of Ebenezer Scrooge's book and go back to the beginning. Go back and look at it through a different perspective. And so, real quickly, I want to go back to Jesus' early childhood. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. God is talking to Joseph by way of angel in a vision. It says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So it's no mistake that Jesus was to be a Nazarene. Don't get that confused. He didn't wind up there because no one else wanted him. This was God's plan all along. And if you follow the Bible and you get into studying it, Matthew here, he writes something peculiar. He says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Fulfilled by the prophets. Now, he's speaking about the, the prophets of the Old Testament, the major and the minor ones. It, they, they were the ones that said he would be called a Nazarene. But if you go back to Old Testament scripture... You cannot find a direct reference to that. In fact, Nazareth is a New Testament town. We don't see the word Nazareth until we get to the Gospels. So how could it be prophesied that he would be called a Nazarene? Well, in Hebrew, the term branch, it's pronounced netzer, but when, in Hebrew, you leave, when you write words, you leave out the consonants. And so it would be written NZR. NZR. Which has the same main consonants of Nazareth. In fact, in the Aramaic language, which is what the New Testament uh, part of it is written in, the word Nazareth and the Hebrew word for branch are very much alike. They sounded very similar. And so Matthew, in his prophecy here, in Matthew chapter 1, he's not talking about Jesus being called out of a geographical place, being born into that and coming out of it. He's talking about a supernatural place. He's talking about something more than ge geography. He's talking supernatural. And in fact, what he's referring to is that Jesus would be a branch that comes out of that. He would sprout up out of obscurity, out of the mess, out of the tainted repu reputation, out of the haunted stereotype, the Son of God would come forth. What he's talking about is a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, when Isaiah says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear forth fruit and it's so encouraging to me that god 
chose to come up out of the muck and out of the mire to spring forth something good. And so to answer Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, the Son of God came out of Nazareth. The Son of God in His person, in His healing, in His wisdom, in everything that He is, came out of the muck, in the mire, in the reputations, in the stereotypes. And I want you to know today, That in the midst of our past, in the midst of our troubled past, in the midst of our hauntings, everything that's been done to us that offended us, everything that we feel shame because we've done, all of the mistakes, all of the things that give us that bad stereotype or bad reputation, and you and I sit and we look back and we say, can anything good come out of this mess? Can God, can God do something in my life despite how much of a mess I've made it? The answer is yes. God can come out of our haunted past. So no matter what happens in our life, the things that you and I wish a million times we could go back and change and we can't change it. And it haunts us in the future. And Satan reminds us of it. And he, 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 we struggle with it in the present. I want you to know today that, that if you feel railroaded and you feel, uh, I guess, locked in because of a stereotype, because of a reputation, because of something that was done to you by a parent, by a teacher, by something your peers said years ago, by a, a critique of an employer, by whoever, whatever, I want you to know that we can be free from that. We can be free because God, um, God came out of that. He came out of it for a reason. So today as I wrap this up, I'm just going to ask you, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to bring this just to a moment of, uh, of commitment, because I believe that, man, Christmas is the season for God to do something. It's a season when we remember not just that he came into the world, but he came into the world for a purpose. And that purpose is to be light unto all mankind. So maybe you're here today and you're struggling because your past haunts you. And maybe you feel like you could never allow God to do something in your life because you just feel too tainted. You feel too far gone. Feel too far off. Maybe you're hurt because of some of the decisions that you've made. Maybe you feel hurt because of what you've done to other people. Maybe you feel hurt because of what's been done to you. I want to give you a recipe for healing today. And the first thing is you need to ask God for forgiveness. God is the one who makes us clean. 
God, in this place, Lord, would you forgive us of our sins? Forgive us of those things that we've done to others. Forgive us of all the things that that we did wrong and we made mistakes. God, your word tells us that we believe in our hearts that you are Lord and that, that you raised from the dead. We repent of our sins and we turn away from them. God, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so, Lord, today we confess, God, that we need you. This Christmas, we need you. God, I ask that you would come into every single life and every single heart in this place. God, that you would forgive us and make us clean. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that God has forgiven you. He tosses our sins as far as the east is from the west. But I'm going to ask you to do a second thing. I'm going to ask you to forgive yourself. Because some of us can't forgive ourselves. And we struggle with that because should have known better, should have did better, should have tried harder. But somewhere along the way, we just found ourselves coming up short and lacking. And some of us harbor that guilt. And that guilt is with us every day. And it haunts us. I'm going to challenge you today. Forgive yourself. It's okay. If God has forgiven you, then you can forgive yourself. God, in this place today, for those that struggle, God, help us, to, help us to know that you've already forgiven us. So God, help us forgive ourselves. Help us to understand who we are in you. That we're your child. And God, when we have moments when we say, God, it's such a mess and I've done so many things and I don't know if anything good could come out of it. Lord, don't let our lack of faith prohibit you from moving. God, help us remember, yes, Jesus came. He was a Nazarene. He sprouted forth from it so that I can be forgiven. And if God can forgive me, then I can forgive myself. I want to challenge you one last way. If God can forgive you and you can forgive yourself, then we need to learn to forgive others. And sometimes that's hard because they don't always ask for forgiveness. They don't always deserve for forgiveness. God, help us to have the same grace 
towards others that you extend towards us. God, help us to treat them with mercy and kindness and to learn to forgive. And I understand, God, that some days that's just not a, it's just not a one-time prayer. And that's just not a one-day thing. But it might require weeks and months and years of forgiving other people. Lord, help us in that process. Help us learn to forgive them what they've done to us. Now, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts this Christmas season. God, I pray that as we go from this place and we celebrate and we sing carols and we have Christmas meals and we open presents, God, that we would not be lost in the consumerism or the commercialism of Christmas, but we would remember how you came into the world to set us free. Now, Lord, today I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. 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 Church, I want to give you one last verse. Uh, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This has been a stronghold for me for many years. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Our past has no power in our present, in our, in our future. There is now no condemnation. The best gift that you could give this Christmas, uh, I'm sorry, the best gift you could receive is God forgiving you. The best gifts that you could give to yourself is you forgiving yourself. And the best gift you could give to someone else is forgiving them. Amen. God bless you guys this Christmas. Thank you for being here today. If you, uh, if you want a prayer or you want to talk, I'll be up here at the front. But God bless you guys. Remember our Christmas Eve service and our Christmas service next week. God bless you guys. You're officially dismissed.